There's been quite a bit of buzz surrounding EMV adoption in recent weeks, but this migration from the legacy magnetic stripe to the EMV chip will be a huge undertaking for U.S. card issuers and merchants, as well as consumers. And what role will mobile play in this migration? The advent of Apple Pay is likely to speed U.S. adoption of mobile payments, and because Apple Pay is a chip-based transaction, it falls in line with EMV. But how much do consumers understand about these emerging payments? Those are questions our industry is asking, and I'm joined today by Katherine Johnson, President and CEO of Act Canada, a Canadian association that's working to drive the evolution in payments and digital identities, and Randy Vanderhoof, Executive Director of the Smart Card Alliance and EMV Migration Forum, to answer at least some of those questions. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So, Catherine, I'd like to start with you because obviously Canada um, has made this migration to EMV or is working to complete this migration toward EMV. Can you tell us how EMV has impacted card fraud in Canada? There have been a few different results that we've seen. And to set the scene for this, we would have to say that MasterCard, Visa, American Express, and Discover all had liability shifts in Canada, but Interact had a mandate. And that mandate meant that at a point in time, if you were using an Interact debit card in Canada, you could only transact on chip. You could not fall back to Meg Stripe. And we're about to see that mandate go into effect next year at the point of sale. So theirs are perhaps the truest figures when it comes to fraud post-EMV. They have had amazing results. In fact, this year, when we look at how much fraud has fallen for Interact, they are down to a fraction of what they had before EMV. And 90% of their current fraud is when a Meg Stripe backed chip card in Canada is counterfeited and used in the U.S. So when the U.S. moves and they can eliminate that fraud, they will have either met or exceeded their greatest expectations for fraud reduction from EMV. When we look at credit, the story is not as good yet because you can still use a MagStripe card in Canada if, there's, if it's a Canadian-issued card and it's used at a non-chip terminal. Thankfully, there aren't that many non-chip terminals left in our market, but because there are chip, non-chip terminals in the U.S., just about everything we've seen in reductions for domestic fraud, we have seen the equivalent growth in counterfeit fraud used in the U.S. So again, our issuers are really looking forward to EMV being converted. The area of e-commerce, yes, we've seen card not presence fraud increase as we've seen in other countries, but we've been looking carefully at the UK where they had an increase that they got under control and they have been able to reduce their card not presence fraud. We expect that when all of the payment networks settle, on a card not present solution that will see significant reductions there. And then the last fraud I would talk about is lost and stolen. And because we are using PIN, we've seen that fraud go down significantly as well. Those are great points, Catherine. You quickly, just for our, our audience here in the U.S., could you give us just a brief background on what Interact is? Interact is the national debit scheme in Canada. Now, we do have payment network debit. We've, two of the major brands have released debit products. But the card that we use at the ATM and therefore also at the point of sale is the Interact debit card. 
And then, Catherine, as far as Axe's role is concerned with banks and retailers in Canada, what kind of role do you play there? We're a stakeholder association, so it is our job to bring together all of the payment stakeholders and now the digital identity stakeholders and give them a place where they can work together in a non-competitive environment. So the work that they do there is either to help open a market opportunity or to deal with an issue that's either market or industry-wide. So the market challenges that Canada faced will obviously be some of the same types of challenges that we'll see here in the U.S., but there also are, are quite a few differences. Catherine, from your perspective, and you, you've highlighted this as well, the fact that Interact had this mandate on the EMV migration really did help to push things along. In the U.S., we don't have that mandate in place, and we also have a card market that has quite a few different debit networks, and, and the complexities there are a little bit more overarching than what we see in Canada. What challenges do you think that we might face in the U.S., and what lessons could we learn from the deployment in Canada? I think you're going to learn that customers are more comfortable with this change than people expect them to be. Uh, they understand the need for more security. They embrace it when they get it. This is really not a difficulty for the average consumer. You are going to have differences at the point of sale, though, that I think are going to be substantial. The fact that you can't simply insert and take your card out at any point through the transaction that's a major change, and I think it's the one that may give merchants the biggest problem when the conversion starts. People will get used to it. It probably won't take a terribly long time, but it does mean that the cashiers are going to have to work at guiding consumers through those early transactions. I think that may be one of the biggest issues that you'll face. And Randy, what's your take there as far as lessons that we might learn from Canada or unique challenges that we might face in the U.S.? Well, Catherine speaks that uh, very highly that consumers catch on quickly, and, and that's really uh, good to hear because I think a lot of the concerns are in the U.S. just what level of education and awareness will there be when merchants start turning on their devices to accept EMV cards and consumers are forced to change how they, they transact at the point of sale. I think the thing that is in our favor is that we are operating in a very compressed conversion time frame in terms of going from virtually no EMV acceptance in place to probably within a year's time having more than half of the merchant locations activated and, and enabled because of the dates associated with the October 15 fraud liability shift and the sensitivity that exists today in the U.S. market to fraud as a result of so many well-known data breaches that have happened here. I want to just throw a quick question in here about Apple Pay and the impact that you think Apple Pay might have on EMV adoption in the U.S., Randy, and from your perspective, Catherine, what impact do you think Apple Pay may have on the way transactions are conducted um, in Canada, and if you think that it might in some way jolt some of this consumer experience that's already been accepted there? Yeah, I can begin that, Tracy. I, I think the, the Apple Pay announcement was an ignition point in the U.S. for mobile payments. You know, we've had mobile payments around for about two years, but we've had both uh, rather casual adoption at the consumer level and even uh, less than casual adoption at many of the merchant locations. 
I think this move by Apple Pay is going to start the conversation over again, which is what we sorely needed. And right at the time that merchants are making their decisions about what to implement at the point of sale for EMV and whether or not they want to expand that functionality to NFC is when this very popular brand with a very motivated customer base is going to come to the market with a very slick and consumer-friendly payment solution. So I think the timing couldn't be better since while most of the merchants have not yet completed their EMV migration yet, this major development comes along and I think it's going to change a lot of merchants' minds and have them look again at what the value proposition is for them to accept mobile payments in light of the Apple Pay announcement. And I would strongly support what Randy is saying about it's good to have that conversation going on. I think it's a remain to be seen for the mid to the long term because there are a lot of consumer questions that need to be answered. How many wallets am I going to have? How are those wallets going to function? Well, I see ubiquity of wallet acceptance the way my cards are accepted today. So as Randy says, this really does move that conversation forward. So for the short term, it's a very good thing. For the long term, we'll see. And Catherine, I just want to reiterate, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is too early to call this a success and to call this a market changer because we are going to see just how well consumers stick to this new technology and really start to adopt it and use it. And it's way too early to make predictions yet as to whether or not consumers are going to find this to be a preferred way of transacting in a physical store. So Randy, looking at some of the unique challenges, I guess, that we have here in the U.S. that perhaps we didn't see in Canada relates to some of the regional PIN networks and PIN processors that we have here in the U.S., from my understanding, many of these networks and processors are not yet equipped to accept these common debit application identifier transactions. And so basically, any transaction that's made with a U.S. debit EMV card will not likely be routed to an issuer's PIN network partner. It will actually have to go directly to the card brands. Can you help us understand how these transactions are going to be routed and why that's posing some unique challenges for the U.S.? Yes, I, I can. So there was a, a fundamental disconnect for the U.S. market between the availability of EMV debit and what was available to the regional debit networks for them to participate on the debit card rollout of EMV. So the, pay, the major payment brands, Visa, MasterCard, uh, and Discover, you know, had a EMV certified debit application or application identifier that would work for routing debit transactions but the regional debit networks never developed their own application. So the decision they had to make was, do we join forces with the regional brands and ride on their EMV debit application, which has obvious competitive overtones to it, or do they go and develop their own EMV debit application that they can then issue for their cards to their customers? And so we went through a fairly rigorous debate and discussion about how that might roll forward in the U.S. market. And fortunately, we were all able to come through that process with agreements that allow for the payment brands and the regional debit networks to have access to 
application identifiers for EMV that will enable those card issuers to issue debit cards that are compliant with the Durban regulations and will work at the point of sale in the way the regulations were intended to allow for merchants to select which of the debit options that exist on that card that they choose to route that transaction for. So Randy, just as a point of clarification, you mentioned that the merchants and the debit networks and the card brands all have access to these application identifiers that have been agreed upon for EMV. Can you tell us the difference between access and adoption? I mean, have, have we moved forward with them implementing these particular identifiers? The regional debit networks needed to have an application for their debit solution that could ride on the chip technology that was going to be issued by the financial institutions. And so once the agreements were in place to be able to select the transaction at the point of sale that best suits the merchant for debit routing, and have those transactions be routed through the acquiring network correctly, it's paved the way for issuing banks who wanted to issue EMV debit cards to be able to do so with confidence that the cards that they issued today would continue to work well as EMV cards and that they would be compliant with the regulatory environment that requires them to support multiple debit networks. So we are now past that point where there was uncertainty and a lack of availability of, of a technical solution for debit. And now we're into the business of rolling out debit cards and of issuers um, aligning with their preferred regional debit networks and the debit brands to be able to fulfill the customer needs for an EMV debit card. So Randy, as we're having these conversations about debit, this raises another question that, that I have that may make the U.S. market somewhat unique as well. Looking at other parts of the world, and I'll use the U.K. as an example, much of the EMV rollout um, oftentimes is referred to as chip and PIN, and that's because you have chip transactions, whether credit or debit, that are also associated with a PIN. Here in the U.S., the scenario is going to be a little bit different from what I understand. The credit transactions will remain signature-based, and debit transactions could be either signature-based or they could be signature and PIN-based. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. It will be a choice for the issuing finance institutions for debit and credit cards whether or not they put offline PIN on the EMV cards as well. And so from a credit transaction perspective, do you think that this could perhaps impact the type of fraud reduction or the amount of fraud reduction that we might see in the U.S. if it's a signature-based chip transaction rather than being a signature-based with a PIN? No, I don't think it's going to have much of an impact at all. So EMV is really effective at reducing counterfeit card fraud because of the additional security of storing the payment data in the chip and the fact that the chip is actively generating unique transaction data that is much more secure and can't be used to create counterfeit cards once the transaction is completed. So the approach of implementing EMV, regardless of what other cardholder verification method is applied, either signature or PIN, accomplishes the, the major problem of reducing or eliminating counterfeit card fraud. The lost and stolen fraud, which would further be reduced with the advent of a PIN entered prior to a transaction, is really a, a business decision that issuers are faced with because they want to make sure that 
the cards that they issue are going to be used successfully by the consumers, that uh, they can get cards into the market as quickly as possible, and they are most concerned at getting rid of the counterfeit card fraud, which is now being translated into large data breaches at, at retail locations as quickly as possible. And once that's under control, then they have other ways that they can manage the lost and stolen card fraud and come up with more aggressive ways to address that problem other than utilizing the PIN as the only tool in the kit. Again, we've just heard from Katherine Johnson of Act Canada and Randy Vanderhoof of the EMV Migration Forum and the Smart Card Alliance. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.